listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking, starting in verse 7, uh, in just a second. Before we, before we get into that, I just want to start off just not with um, just a, a funny story or anecdote or anything like that off the bat. I just want to start really honestly telling you that this passage today, this, uh, this topic today, uh, community, is one that is not very comfortable for me to preach on. Because if I'm being completely honest with you, I hate real community. And I also love it more than anything and appreciate it as an amazing gift from God. Um, I I remember when Emily and I were dating, there was uh, probably the 20th or 30th time when I had like completely closed off and locked down because I just absolutely did not want to go and be with people. And she said, how are you called into ministry? How are you going to do ministry if you can't even be around people in in your life? And and it's been been a process. Thankfully, God brings people into uh, our lives, like my wife, who is able to pull some things out of you um, that wouldn't necessarily have been there at the start. But I can tell you that the, the... Running away from God's community and isolating myself, part of that through being in full-time ministry, which can be very isolating, um, part of it through my own sin and my own desire for that kind of hiding and isolation, and running away from true, authentic community is one of the things that led to, to the most difficult and damaging times in my life. Uh, and if it wasn't for the grace of God through his church, I don't know that I would be here right now, and very literally. I don't know that my marriage would be standing today uh, or that my family would be together. Uh, and, and I don't say that in a hyperbolic way. I say very literally God has used people sacrificially loving me and my family um, to, to save us. Uh, not in a salvation sense, but to save us here um, through the sacrificial love that they have for us. So I'm only standing here today uh, because of the people of God and the community of God, and not because I'm good at it, because I'm not at all, but only because his grace is so good through his people. And so as we talk about community and what it means to us today, I want you just to know that I'm coming to this from a a humble place and a place that says, I want to talk about this not because I'm so good at it, but because I need you as God's people and God's family so desperately, and we so desperately need each other. And so 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7, and we're going to bounce around to a few different passages of Scripture today, but we'll kind of root things right here. So it says, Um, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another 
as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so when we're talking about community, our culture has a very different idea than what the scriptures are going to teach us. Uh, Especially in American culture, we really value the individual over and against everything else. I have a a little picture that I want to show you for just a second. I love this. So this is somebody pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. You've probably heard that phrase before, but it looks a little more ridiculous when you actually see it. Okay, so this is a guy pulling himself up by his bootstraps. It's something that can't actually be done. All right, that's how ridiculous the phrase is. But in America, this has become a deeply embedded idea in who we are, that we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're going to achieve success on our own. We're going to be fine on our own. We're going to find our own strength. We're going to do things for ourselves. But unfortunately, what this has led to is one of the most isolated and depressed cultures in human history. And in in the face of that is Christianity, which because of the way God created people and because of the way he designed people, it's the exact opposite of this sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory had this really weighty passage when he said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their lives to ours is as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. Okay, so let's break this down really, really carefully for a second because this is really powerful. What does this have to say to us about community, okay? So every single day, we're encountering people. There are people, if we look around us in this room, who are gonna live for eternity, in heaven or in hell, with God or apart from God. Every every single person has an eternal destiny, an eternal life in this place. Everything else that we value so much in this world will be gone, but these people will not. So for perspective, and I told Scott Moore that I was not going to talk about Georgia, but you know, this one just hit me, so I'm going to say it, and it's going to pain me to do so, okay? So, so, uh, at, so for some perspective here, as much as we invest and love a sports team that we've never played for, like the Georgia Bulldogs, okay? Go dogs. Um, but as much as we love and want to invest in a sports team, uh, they will not be eternal, We will not be dog fans in heaven, unfortunately, and regardless of what most T-shirts and cute, like, sweet tea signs that we hang on our, you know, farm decor things. Anyway, um, regardless of what those things say, like, Georgia is going to go away. Like, the state is going to go away. The university is going to go away. The football team we never played for is going to go away. Those things are going to go away, and yet... A named person in this room, if you're looking around this place, these will be eternal people. They will be in eternity. That, like, they're, the person who annoys you that you, run, that you have to deal with at work all the time is an eternal person. 
with an eternal soul and destiny. And so our relationships with people, which are one of the things that are difficult to do and take a lot of time and energy and effort, are the things that are gonna last and they're the things that are gonna matter in the long run. There's an urgency in our relationships because you and I can help or hurt someone in, in their relationship with God and in their eternal destiny. And, and the reality is that anybody we're in, we, that we come into contact with, in some subtle way, we're doing that. We're either influencing them and encouraging them towards God, or we are encouraging them or influencing them in the opposite direction. So everybody that we encounter, we can't avoid this. It is happening whether we like it or not. And it also means that people are influencing us. The, thing, the, the people that we listen to, the people that we surround ourselves with, the people that we involve ourselves with are influencing us in those ways as well. It also means that we desperately need people because of this. So Eugene Peterson said that one of the first things that we have to do as a Christian is to change our grammar from I to we. So we change it to our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is so fundamental. And I can tell you this as someone who desperately wants to be isolated. But if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, when people sin, the first thing they want to do is hide and cover themselves up. The first thing that people want to do is hide and cover themselves up. And that is my tendency. I don't want you to know who I really am. I want to uh, remain covered. I don't want to expose my heart. I don't want to expose those things to you. I want to keep that hidden from your sight so that you don't know who I am, so that you, I can have a nice, carefully curated outside, uh, and you can say, oh, that's a godly person. Look at that godly family. They don't have any problems, but that's not the truth, okay? But that's what we want to, to present to people most of the time, but that's not real and true community. And we see this in the world all around us. In a 2018 survey, we see 60% of Americans feel lonely or isolated, 80% of people who are 18 to 22. So the stats for people 72 or older, 35% feel lonely or isolated. 18 to 22, it's, it's 80%. So we're getting worse at this. And we can look at and point to a lot of things that probably have to do with this. Social media is one of the biggest things we like to kick about it, and there's probably a lot of truth to that. But for whatever reason, we're becoming a much more isolated people. We're becoming a much more hidden people. As we expose what we want of ourselves, that curated version of ourselves online, I think it almost starts to translate into our real lives as well. And, and to where we're, we're constantly sort of curating this image of ourselves, but we're always on guard and unable to open up and expose ourselves to a real authentic community around us. And it's making us feel isolated and, and alone. The majority of meals in America for the first time ever were taken alone. Uh, in 2015, for the first time, less than 50% of families were eating a single meal a week together. Um, Single-family households went from 17%, which they'd never been uh, above 15% until the year 2000. They went from 17% to 27% from the year 2008 to 2012. And you can imagine that all these statistics that I'm talking about are pre-COVID. You can imagine what COVID has done to the isolation and to the, the loneliness that people feel. 
And in stark contrast to this is the community that God wants to build in the world. And so the first thing that I want us to see, we're gonna look at three things today. The first thing I want us to see is that the purpose of God's community, or I want us to see the purpose of God's community on earth, the purpose of his community on earth. And this is uh, drawn really from like the first couple of chapters of Acts where we see uh, Jesus ascend to heaven and he tells the disciples as he's about to go, the Holy Spirit's gonna come in power on, on you and you're gonna take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47, that famous passage on community where this first church is sharing things and, and having things in common and loving one another and taking care of each other's needs and praying together and living life together. And because of that, people are being added to their number each and every day. And so we see really a couple of things that this power comes from God and these different people from different backgrounds and different races and different religions become one family as a spiritual community, and then they're able to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what we really see in, in, in Acts. It's this coming together of different people into a community that would never exist before. We see in Acts that it's a, a majority, a lot of slaves and women who would not have had the ability to be in leadership positions and a lot of times in this, this day and age are gaining those influential positions in the church. We see God forming this community from all different backgrounds, different professions, different communities, different languages to form this one spiritual family and one spiritual community around the cross of Jesus Christ and they take that gospel and that good news to the ends of the earth. And so if we're gonna say what the purpose of community is, and there's different ways that you could sum that up, you could you know, probably sum it up with our own mission statement as a church, and most church mission statements are gonna sound something like that. Um, but for the sake of this today, I just said the purpose of community is to glorify God as we grow to love Jesus, become like Jesus, and help others to become disciples of Jesus. Okay, this is what that purpose in community is. At the end of the day, it's all about glorifying God. We see that in the passage we looked at, 1 Peter 4, down in verse 11. Um, he says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. This is the point of all of this, is to glorify God. It's not for ourselves, it's for the glory of God. And, and we also see that it's in the strength that God supplies, that they're in that same exact passage. And, and then again, what's the point of all this? It's not just to glorify God amongst ourselves, but back over in Acts 2, 42 through 47, um, we see that people are added to their number every single day, those who are being saved. And so it's to glorify God, uh, it's to glorify God in our own hearts, it's to glorify God in our own our family here, and it's to glorify God to the ends of the earth as people come to faith in God because of this. And remember, as we're building this community, the point of it is Jesus. The community is not the point. As much as I want to stress how important community is today, we can't forget that the community is not the point. Jesus is the point. So the community helps us to love Jesus, and it helps other people to love Jesus, and it helps us to use our gifts to point other people to Jesus. All right, so, so the point of it is Jesus. And also we see that the power is not from us and what we do. The power is also from God. So the power, again, and we saw in Acts, we see in Acts chapter one, if you go and look when, when but right before the ascension, he says, the power is gonna come when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The power comes from God into our hearts and into our communities. And, and, and so it's not a strength that we're able to provide. 
It's a strength that he provides. I love this quote from G. Campbell Morgan. He said, when he was talking about uh, the Holy Spirit, he said, I, I can no more cause revival than I can cause the wind to blow. But what I can do is to set my sails so as to catch the wind when God chooses to blow uh, his people. So for community, we're not the ones who supply the power. We set the sails by being in the community as he's laid it out in scripture and he is the one who provides the power. We're gonna see this again pretty clearly in Romans chapter 12. So if you wanna flip over to Romans chapter 12 with me for just a second. We're gonna look at starting in verse three, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse three. So it says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think as one with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in the exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So we have this incredible passage. I wanna make a statement. I thought through from a couple of different ways. If you wanna fight with me about it afterwards, you can. But I'm just gonna make it and just leave it unqualified. You cannot grow as a Christian by yourself. You cannot grow as a Christian apart from the community of God. You can't, okay? If you wanna break it down into every single little detail of it, I'm happy to go, go around with you. I heard there's a popular song right now, and I don't even necessarily hate the sentiment of it, uh, but it's by Larry Fleet and Morgan Wallen sings on him with it. You may have heard it uh, if you like country music, but it's Where I Find God. And uh, so he sings about, you know, it's, it's a good song. It's kind of catchy. But he sings about all the different places where he meets God. Um, a bar stool, uh, an Evinrude, which I thought he was saying living room, but an Evinrude evidently, I believe, is a fishing boat. Somebody can check me on that. Um, a, a church pew, a deer stand on a highway to Nashville. These are all the places where he meets God. And, and here's the thing. You can meet God in those places. Absolutely. Like, you know, God can save you anywhere. God can speak to you anywhere. I guess what, I think there's always something nagging at the back of my head when I hear that, when I hear the song. And I think it's, it's not so much what he's saying is it's the idea that I think that a lot of people take from it, like the church, because he says, oh, or on a church pew with all these other things. So it's like, these are kind of all the same places where we can have church now. Um, and so if it's like God can speak to me any place, that's cool. I agree with you on that one. But if it's like, I can do church in any of these places, then I'm gonna, again, back to my first statement, you cannot grow as a Christian by yourself. It's not, it's literally not possible to do. Um, and 
And so the thing that I want to challenge, we, we have to have, if we go, if we're biblical Christians and not just American Christians, me sitting by myself, even reading my Bible, uh, is I'm not going to grow in the way that God has designed me to grow because I'm a sinful human being. Uh, there's going to be things that I miss. There's going to be things that I am not able to hear. Oh, and, and here's the, here's the, like the little catch twenty two on that one is like even if you're reading the Bible, unless you speak the original language, somebody translated it for you, and all those things, you're still participating in the community of God. So you literally cannot grow spiritually apart from the community of God. Uh, but we we definitely can't apart being disconnected from His church. We cannot uh, love God and not love His people. The scripture is gonna teach us. We can't be disconnected from the church because we need the gifts that other people have. We need the accountability that the church provides. Um, we are not gonna be able to, to have, you know, it's like, well, God can speak to us in any way that he wants. Yes, absolutely he can. And the way that he's chosen to do that is through the church. He's gifted people in the church. He's given people the gifts of discernment. He's given people the gift of encouragement, the gift of teaching, gifts that you don't necessarily have and you desperately need people speaking into your heart and into your life. We cannot do it in isolation and on our own. One of the uh, kind of the startling recent revelations from, from brain science is really confirming something we've known for many years because of scripture. And that's in recent years through brain mapping, they've seen that identity is developed through attachment to other people. Our identity, who we are, is developed through joyful, secure attachments to other people, which builds a good brain. And fearful and weak attachments will build a bad brain and cause a psychological and mental health problems down the line. Our character literally develops through relationships that we have with our family and with our church family. You cannot make yourself in isolation. You cannot make yourself in isolation. You are formed by your community. If your community is just you yourself, then you're gonna have a very stunted community. And yet we see, again, from some of these statistics in recent years, that over 25% of Americans say that they have not one person in their life that they can be honest with about who they are or about things that they're going through. One in four people say that. And, and that may seem kind of crazy, but honestly, I think maybe even in our world, that's a little low. Um, if, you, if you really think about opening up and being truthful in who you really are with somebody. And according to Romans 12, there's quite a few things that outside of the spiritual community, we cannot have, okay? So we're gonna run through some of these things. So outside of God's community, according to Romans 12, we are gonna think very highly of ourselves and we're gonna lack humility, according to verse three. Um, outside of the community of God, we're not gonna have the, the kind of godly encouragement that we need, and we're also not gonna have an outlet to encourage other people, according to verse three. We're not gonna get the help that we need, according to verse four. We're gonna miss out on belonging. How many people are desperate to belong? But we're, we're searching for this kind of belonging that can only be found in God's family. We're gonna miss out on the, the grace through the gifts of others, the grace that God wants to give us through the gifts of other people. We're gonna miss out on using the gifts that God has given us in the lives of others. We're gonna miss out on genuine self-sacrificing love that only is gonna come by people who are believers. You can have 
loving feelings and not be a Christian. You can have connection, attachment, light, but self-sacrificing, gospel-driven love, it only comes from fellow believers. You're gonna miss out on the opportunity to bless other people. You're gonna miss out on giving and getting hospitality. You're gonna uh, not have people who will weep with you and rejoice with you when the time calls for it. Last one of those little random statistics I'll say because it's super depressing is there were, there were over 100,000 unclaimed bodies in morgues last year in America. People just nobody at all at the end of their life. You may think in the grand scheme of things, well, that's, not that, that's not that much, but I'm talking about literally nobody at all. Not even like a son that they're estranged from who's like, well, I'll throw him a couple bucks to bury him. I mean, nobody. That's pretty depressing when you really think about it. We need people. We need the family of God, the community of God. Above all else, Paul says in 1 Peter 4, 7, love one another. This is our constant and ongoing obligation to one another. God has called us to be a part of a community where we can give and receive love. And again, not just a feeling. This is people who will speak truth to us. This is people who will, at its very least, and this is actually probably one of the hardest things I want you to think about. This means somebody will give you their time. I think our time, a lot of times, is one of the most valuable things that we have in our world. And America, especially today, it's like, man, I'm so busy. What do we always say when we're talking to somebody? How you doing? Really busy. Yes, I'm super, super busy. So to give someone our time, our undivided attention, when there's so many things out there competing for our attention, is probably one of the greatest displays of love we can show for people here now. To say, I have no obligation to you. You, you know, I'm not required to, to shelter you by law. So because you're not my kid. I'm only one of my kids back there. I'm required to shelter. But I'm just going to give you some hospitality and some time. Is one of the greatest ways, sadly probably, that we can show love for people today. And so are we willing to, to sacrifice for one another, even in some of these small ways? What does it mean to really love one another? I think we hear that in church. It's really easy for a word like love. It's just so, it's got so much baggage on it. But I just want to challenge you that this is not an abstract feeling kind of thing. Again, it means to sacrificially love named people who are sitting around you right now in this place. And people with names and dreams and lives and problems all around this building in this community. People around us in our neighborhoods. People that it would be inconvenient for us to talk to. People who are going to annoy us. People who are going to ask things of us, who are going to cause us to be obligated to them for things. And it would be much easier just to give them the nod. How you doing? Great. All right. Let's see you later. So to actually invest becomes a sacrificial type of thing, to show hospitality without grumbling. I, I had to learn this one from my wife big time, because again, I'm the kind of person who's like, I don't ask anybody for anything and just want to be left alone by everybody. That's my natural sinful tendency, okay? I'll take care of everything by myself. If I can't figure it out, then I'll just go without it. 
and I'll never ask you for anything. We'll just leave each other alone and everybody will be happy. Well, if you don't know my wife by now, if you tell her that you'll help her with something, she will ask you to help her with that thing. Chris, Kristen's laughing right now because she gets, kept, she gets kept up late at night by my dog many times because she told my wife one time, hey, I'll keep your dog any time. And so we take her up on that offer, all right? You know, she, and, and at first, like, this is, goes everything against my nature. Don't ask people to do things for you. Don't ask people to help you. But you know who has more friends than anybody, I've, more deep relationships than anybody I've ever known? is my wife. And she will also be the person who is there for anyone whenever they need it, anytime, day or night, uh, sacrificially loving them. She has more meaningful relationships than anybody I've ever known, and it's because she's willing to give and receive love from other people. And that's such a challenge to me because it's so against who I am and so against my nature, but it's such a picture of what we're called to be and who we're called to be as Christians to show hospitality, to show love, to sacrifice for one another, to need each other. All of us in here should be connected by mutual need. It's, again, this goes so in the face of our culture. We don't want people to need us. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to be the people who go to church and yeah, I'll, I'll, let other, I'll give other people a bone every now and then. I'll help other people out, but I don't need anything. I'm good on my own. Spiritually, I'm great. We see in scripture, that's never the case with anyone. Even the best, most awesome, godly leaders do stupid things at times and really need people to call them out on their sin, hold them accountable for stuff, and, and, get, and help them with things. You talk about Peter, you talk about Paul, they need things from other people. They don't do anything alone. They, it's all in community. They're submitting to one another. They're listening to advice from each other. They're sending each other money when they need it in tangible, physical ways. They're praying for one another. They're visiting one another. This is always going on in this kind of community. And that's so alien, sadly, to so much of what we have today in the American church. And it's what God is calling us to, to serve one another, to help one another. And the last thing that I wanna, the third thing I wanna talk about is the power of God through community. Power of God through community. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that's not going to really seem at first glance like it really has that much to do with community. I'm just going to read it for you and then I'll tell you why I think it really fits. So 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, starting in verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Is not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who recall both Jews and, and, and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what does this have to do 
again, with community. In our culture, we're valuing strength. We have a strong value on independence, self-sufficiency, and strength. We see um, with the Jews, they're demanding spiritual kind of signs from God. The Greeks are demanding philosophical, intellectual sort of wisdom. They're both valuing these certain things. In our culture, we uh, value, I think, more of like what the Greeks would, this sort of strong, independent, um, almost stoic type uh, person who doesn't need necessarily other people. And yet God and in the gospel is going to show us something very different. He's going to show us that our strength is actually in our weakness. Our strength is in our weakness. It's going to fly in the face of our culture completely. That we're not strong because we're really good Christians. Well, our church is good because we've got our theology figured out. Our church is good because we give a whole lot of money. Our church is good because we got a really nice building or because we're doing this or that. We have these different programs. No, our church is strong in our weakness. I think that our church will become incredibly powerful as we're honest about our weakness to one another and our need for one another. And that's when the Spirit of God is gonna be free to move in power and help us to grow in faith and holiness. Too much of the time we're trying to do things on our own power, trying to do things on our own strength, acting like we don't need one another. And yet we see that, that Christ is glorified and he is made strong when we are weak. And so community, a lot of times, is seen as a sign of weakness, asking other people to help us, asking other people to, to give us something that we don't have, being vulnerable with people and exposing our, our faults with people and our flaws. All that is, is is showing our weakness to one another. And we don't like that, and we don't want to show that. And yet, here we see very clearly, that's the way that God is glorified. He didn't choose us because we were so smart, so godly, so great. He saved us because he wanted to. He wanted to save weak people. He wanted to save people who needed him. He's glorified in that. He's glorified when broken, weak people are made into something beautiful through the gospel. So just a couple of quick applications as we wrap up today. Maybe a little New Year's resolution time as the year is beginning here on January 1st. Some people may have, anybody out there made resolutions? Anybody joining, joining gyms or, you know, maybe you got a Peloton for Christmas. If you got, you know, maybe you sold a car and bought a Peloton, I don't know. Um, but a lot of us this time of year, we're trying to, to make new commitments to, uh, to growth or to, to better ourselves. And it's true that probably a lot of those things will be done and out the window when we stop going to the gym after a Wednesday. Um, but, the, but the reality is I, I would encourage you still, I think it's always a good time to make, to, to make renewals, to make commitments. I want to challenge you guys, if you're going to make resolutions, you haven't made one yet, a good one to make is to resolve to be committed to the family of God. Resolve to be committed to a church. I hope it's South Point. I think South Point Fellowship here in Locust Grove, or down in Locust Grove or here in McDonough, I think those are great uh, churches for you to be a part of. But if it's not this church that you can be committed to, be find a church that you can commit to, that you can fully participate in. Look for a church that exhibits trust amongst its people. Look for a church that exhibits 
grace. Look for a church where you see humility, submission, affirmation, real attachment. Too much of the time when people are shopping for churches, they're like, man, that worship was great. You know, that preacher was funny. Look for some of these marks of, of the spirit of God's presence in a place. Look for, look for weakness in a place. Are people willing to expose their weakness? Look, this is not a plan for growing a megachurch. I promise you, that's not going to happen with this. But that's not necessarily what, what we're called to or what we're called to look for. Because remember, this is not a, it's not a gospel of our power. It's a gospel of his power. It's where we're open and we're honest with who we are and sharing that and being vulnerable in that. And he it shows up in power. I want to encourage you not just to, to commit on a service level, but even if you have been coming for a long time, I would challenge you to be a part of a life group or a DNA. A lot of those are getting started up again right now. Life groups and DNA is not just programs that we have. They're opportunities for us to be open to one another in true, authentic community, to open up our hearts, expose ourselves a little bit, to risk a little bit so that God could be glorified in true, authentic relationships. I wanna encourage you to find a church where you can do that in. And in our church, one of the ways that we do that is through life group and DNA. Again, I challenge you to think back to that quote, that G. Campbell Morgan quote about, you know, I don't supply the wind, I just set the sails. This is kind of us setting our sails. The uh, life groups and DNA, that's us throwing the sails out there and God's gonna be the one who supplies the power through those things. We encourage you, use your gifts to serve others. If you're a believer, God has gifted you and given you the ability to serve other people. And I wanna really encourage you, you know, there are opportunities to serve. And it doesn't necessarily mean you get a title. It doesn't necessarily even mean, for many of you, you would love your name to be off the, rota the serve rotation list in a few places. But it doesn't necessarily mean your name's on the serve rotation list where you want, you're like, man, I really wish that somebody would call me to, to be the worship leader or to be a deacon. You can do those ministry things right now. Worship God, love one another, serve one another. Those things that God's calling you to, do those things faithfully. However he's gifted you, do those things. And the, some of the greatest places you can do that are in those life groups and those DNAs because that's where you're gonna grow deeper in relationship with one another. So again, I don't think that this church is the only good church. I don't think that life group and DNA are the only ways, but that's the ways that we're throwing up the sails and saying, here's how you can be used by God to love one another and serve one another and be honest in community with one another. And I wanna challenge you this year, if it's not here, to find a place where you can do those kinds of things. I wanna encourage you in that. I encourage you to open up to them. So one final thing, none of this works if you're not in Christ. At the end of the day, uh, all this is just noise if you have not been transformed and redeemed by Jesus. And so I wanna challenge you, the way that you become a part of God's family, the way that you become a part of his community is believe in Jesus, repent of your sins and believe and trust in Jesus. And so if that's something that you've never done, I wanna challenge you, encourage you, no better day like today to do that. No better day than today to do that. Every single week at South Point, we uh, participate in uh, communion. This is a Lord's, Lord's Supper. And uh, this is something that Jesus has told us to do in remembrance of him, in remembrance of that gospel that we talked about, that sacrifice that we talked about, uh, the, the foolishness of the cross. 
On the cross, Jesus' body was broken. On the cross, his blood was, was poured out so that we, in our weakness, could be made right with him. And every single week, we remember that through this meal that he's called us to memorialize. And so he's, uh, he said, the body of Christ is broken for us. The blood of Christ is poured out for us. And so at four different spots around the room, there are some stations, and we're gonna have a time where you can uh, go and receive those elements. You can pray individually. You can pray with your family, with your loved ones, with other people. Um, it's a great opportunity for you to, to confess, to encourage one another, to pray to God. Uh, so I just wanna challenge you to respond in that way at this time.